1: Welcome back, folks, here on Big Blue Views Audio Network. We're providing you with a post-free agency reaction show. Our thoughts on all of the moves, what we thought were the best moves, most surprising. We've got a ton of topics that we are going to hit on in today's show. Before we get to that, though, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed listening and also Head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. I am Joe DeLeon, uh, joined by Nick Pilato and Chris Plum. We are here to break down free agency, guys, and it was a wild one uh, to an extent. Uh, Things were very quiet at the beginning. We didn't really know what was going to happen. We also... We're speculating that no big moves would happen, and then bam, we get Kenny Galladay, then things start to pick up, we get Adoree Jackson, and we're gonna talk about all of our various thoughts on specific things that happen during free agency. So guys, I wanna get into the first one here, our favorite move. Now we're not talking about what we think was the best move, we're gonna get to that soon. I wanna know personally, and Nick, I wanna head to you first. For you, what was your favorite signing for the giants that made you excited.
2: I'm going to have to say it's Kenny Galladay. and I know it's kind of boring cuz I feel like <laughs> majority of giant fans would go in that direction before years, 72 million could get up to 76 40 million guaranteed. That's a hefty payday, but you need to surround your potential franchise quarterback Daniel Jones with these types of players, playmakers and I honestly think Kenny Galladay's skill set as the ex receiver meshes well with not only Daniel Jones, but Jason Garrett's offense. We Seen Jason Garrett's offense have these big type of X receivers in the past with Miles Austin, Terrell Owens, Des Bryant, somebody who can not necessarily create separation at the highest rate, but somebody who can win contested catch situations, jump over the top of talented cornerbacks, one-on-one situations, use his exceptional catch radius to win in the air essentially. And we know Daniel Jones has a proclivity to trust his receivers in those one-on-one situations. We saw that extensively back in 2019 with Darius Slayton who ended up having eight touchdowns as a fifth round pick coming out of Auburn that nobody really knew. Now you pair him with Kenny Galladay. If he can stay healthy, I really think that could take this offense to the next level, especially with Saquon Barkley coming back. Yeah.
3: And I would just have to add to that, that hopefully adding Galladay would allow Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Basically the entire rest of the offense to play their natural roles, you know, no more asking Darius Slayton to be that number one receiver to deal with double teams or to ask Sterling Shepard to move out and play as an outside receiver, you know, occasionally the X receiver he was asked to play it would allow those guys to do what they do best to allow Darius Slayton to pick on number two or number three corners with one-on-one coverage to use his speed to maybe not have to generate separation with his route running Uh, to allow Sterling Shepard to work the underneath, to get those run after catch opportunities with the offense occupied by Galladay.
2: And since we're talking about the wide receiver position and just the offense in general, I really want to bring up John Ross as well. And I know this one kind of goes under the radar, and rightfully so. He was the ninth overall pick back in 2017. He struggles with drops, but he has the combine record for a 4-2-2 40-yard dash. And that's actually at the combine and not these pro day circuits that we're <laughs> seeing right now. That's legit. <laughs> but the <laughs> thing about him that I love, and it's similar to a big reason why I love Waddle, although Waddle is a far superior player than John Ross, is just that speed, man. Because if you can threaten the defense both vertically and horizontally, it's going to open up so much underneath for Kenny Galladay, for Sterling Shepard, for Darius Slayton, and even for Saquon Barkley. You have John Ross, Saquon Barkley on the field at the same time, and you start showing some good film with John Ross, some good utilization of him. You're not going to be able to stack the box as easily with that vertical threat if he develops into the player that a lot of people thought he could and stays healthy now those are big big ifs but for one year
1: 2.25 million I mean I'm, I'm willing to roll the dice mm. on a player like that yeah and we're, we're gonna get to talking a little bit of those those high upside signings and, and that's honestly my pick and we can continue to talk about John Ross because that is one that I'm excited about for what they're paying him for that small of a deal that thing could hit hit home things could really work out well if John Ross can stay on the field and maybe work on some of those drops but just to wrap up our favorite moves I think we're all in agreement here Kenny Galladay has to be my favorite move and anyone who follows me on Twitter knows the whole week I was screaming into the void when are we getting Kenny Galladay and it finally worked out the Giants were able to get the one free agent that I was rooting for for them to get the most and I think that as you talked about Nick this is exactly what the Giants receiving group needed they didn't they do obviously need some speed, and and John Ross is going to provide that, but Kenny Galladay is going to be that number one player. He is going to be a high-impact player for this, this Giants offense. That was what we saw them lacking. That was a big reason why, in some instances, they weren't really able to move the ball all that well throughout the air. When you have a guy that has reliable hands, that's a good route runner, that has a big body, it makes things a lot easier for a young quarterback who is developing and improving. I mean, I know Mitch Trubisky is not the best example to point at, but when he was playing, at least he had a guy like Allen Robinson to get the ball to. And maybe he wasn't, you know, Trubisky, obviously, again, not a very good quarterback, did not do very well in his final days with the Bears. But when he was able to find Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson was able to perform well. I think Daniel Jones is going to do better than Trubisky will. But when you put a really good number one X receiver uh, with a young quarterback, their, their play is going to step up, and I think that we're going to start to see an improvement for Daniel Jones in this upcoming next season. So speaking on the biggest impact, what signing do we think is going to have the most impact going forward? And will not only just have a, a slight improvement at their position group, but a vast one. And it sounds like we might all be on the same page again. So, Nick. Are you in agreement here that that Kenny Galladay is the biggest impact? It is, and and Joe, I think the better parallel would be Josh Allen now. Yeah, <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky. But we don't they, want. They him. traded for Stefan Diggs, Diggs, but like my yeah,
2: I, I understand what you're saying. And <laughs> Stefan Diggs is a little bit. I I mean, he plays a little X there, but they use Gabriel Davis in that role a lot. At least they did last year in his rookie season. Steph Diggs is a little bit more of a Z type of move receiver. But did that parallel is the one that we're hoping for. Josh Allen's second to third year jump. Right, We see something similar with Daniel Jones. And yeah, I would have to say that big impact would be Kenny Galladay because what the Giants can do with him in Jason Garrett's offense. Jason Garrett's offense finished, what, 31st in points, 31st in yards. I mean, that's just inexcusable. It was the Achilles heel heading into this offseason, and they significantly upgraded it. But let's hope this offensive line, that's going to be a whole nother topic of conversation I'm sure we're going to be talking about over several episodes, but we need this offensive line to hold up to really maximize all of these interesting additions. Yeah, and I would say
3: the, and I'm with you guys on Galladay being the biggest impact signing, at least the Potentially biggest impact signing. Uh, it, maybe ask me again in December what the actual biggest impact signing was.
2: <laughs> but
3: yeah, I would say Galde has the biggest potential to be that impact. Not just because of what he can do for the offense. You know, like we just said, you know, helping out Daniel Jones, uh, helping out Saquon Barkley, making it more difficult for uh, defenses to stack the box, or helping out the other guys in the passing game by letting them play their natural roles. But also, if you can get that offense to actually do something, you know, not be the worst offense in the NFL that isn't the Jets, that will make life so much easier for the defense by maybe gave, giving them the occasional lead to defend, by maybe taking opponents out of their game plans, uh, you know, putting pressure on the opposing offense to have to do something to keep up with the Giants for once. Yeah, you know, that could have an even Bigger impact than any move the Giants could make on the defensive side of the ball because, you know, as good as the defense was last year, it is almost likely that they'll take a step back this year just because defense is very inconsistent from year to year. Uh, offenses are much more con- consistent, and the best teams in the league are the teams with the best offenses from year to year.
2: Absolutely. And then I wanted to make one more point to Joe and Chris mm-hmm. about. The Giants in general, worst case scenario, Jason Garrett doesn't really adjust his offense. And it's the same kind of bland, non-creative offense that we saw in 2020. That's correct, right? That's the worst case scenario we could probably see. Now, insert Kenny Galladay and a healthy Kyle Rudolph, which is still kind of iffy because he has to have surgery on that foot. But you insert those two players into the Giants 2020 offense, that offense is significantly better because Kyle Rudolph is a prototypical Y tight end who can block. He's not one of the best blocking tight ends, but he can block a lot better than what Evan Ingram can do. But he's so much better on Y stick option. He's so much better on those spacing concepts, those quick hitches and those quick curls where you run five, six yards and turn around back facing the quarterback because he can locate the ball and he has soft hands. He could pluck away from his body and bring it into his frame. It's not going to be Evan Ingram hitting it up to a middle of the field, close safety so he can intercept <laughs> it. It's not going to be. That. Kenny Galladay it can win at the line of scrimmage on those quick slants, uses subtle little push-offs, uses the flipper to create a little bit of separation and win in the short area. He's not just a vertical threat so those two in the 2020 jason garrett offense make this offense a lot better mm. now let's hope that this offense is more creative sets up yak a little bit better and then we can applaud in 2021 but even in 2020 with these two additions it makes the offense better
1: and the little bit more negative and i agree 100 with what you guys said here that the little bit more negative outlook on this and i try to be very positive on this show For what they're paying Kenny Galladay, he better be the biggest impact (laughs) signing. And I know that's not the best thing to say here, and I'm sure that there's a chance I get some flack for it, but uh, they're paying him a lot of money. They're paying him to be a high-priority free agent receiver. And with a contract like that, he needs to live up to the hype. And I'm optimistic. I think that he has the capability to. And as we've all said, he has the traits. He's done it before. If he's healthy, he's on the field he could work out very, very well in this Giants offense. So we already hit on this a little bit, Uh, Nick. You talked about John Ross. I want to get into some high upside signings. And as we typically do, and we talked about leading up to free agency, and we did see it as we spoke about, the Giants are always going to try and sign guys to small contracts to fit positions of need with the potential for them to have a a high impact. And we saw that with some guys last year, not necessarily uh, all pro level, but they stepped up, they played their role well, and it worked really, really well for them, specifically more so on defense. Where do we sit on this? Who do we think is our high upside guy uh, from this free agency period that could maybe go from just a one year, $2 million deal and become a top level player or not a top level player, but a impact player. I would say for me, it's
2: Afedi Odenigbo, just because he is a 27-year-old, I believe. He's a young pass rusher who plays with very, very – he's 26, he'll be 27, plays with really, really good leverage, Six foot three, two 258 pounds, not necessarily a coverage guy, but someone who does rack up the pressures. He had 42 pressures this past year, hit the quarterback 11 times, is able to get home. According to Pro Football Focus, who doesn't do half sacks, in 2019 he had seven sacks. Last year he had four sacks. Collectively in the two years, he had 68 pressures. That's somebody who was able to get to the quarterback. I think he's going to be interesting on some TE, et stunts and be a situational pass rusher who signed a small deal, a one-year What two and a half million dollar deal to kind of come in, fill that Kyler Fackrell role. I don't think he'll have as much on his plate as Kyler Fackrell did, but I still like this kind of signing because he's somebody who can get after the quarterback, and that's what the Giants need from the edge position with Oshane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter both coming back off injury.
3: I'm going to stay on the defense too, and this isn't exactly a small uh, contract, (laughs) uh, but I'm going to say potentially Adore Jackson. again that not a small contract i think he added what another 22 26 million guaranteed money so that is definitely significant however what he could potentially do uh assuming he doesn't play like he did last year for the giants coverage give them that added athleticism. They didn't have opposite James Bradbury, give them more options for uh, various coverages, mixing and matching coverages, So they don't wind up like they did in that four game stretch at the end of the season where they were just playing zone coverage all the time. And as soon as deep, as soon as offenses figured out what their tendencies were, what they were calling, they were just picked apart. You know, hopefully that won't happen. And the reason I say this is a particularly high upside is a Dory Jackson could give Leonard Williams the time to live up to his contract. You know, he really is a guy who needs time to get to the, to get to the passer. He doesn't win his rushes quickly. So the, the added second and a half that maybe having a guy who can play man coverage, like a Dory Jackson, that could give the giants what they need to get their money's worth out of leonard williams and make him hopefully stay an eight or ten sack a year player
1: so i completely uh, uh you know agree with what you're saying here and you're cheating a little okay. bit from what i was trying to look for but i know i kind of get that because i think uh, there were a lot of people that were saying and there were some people who I, I was talking to right when it was uh, i was recording a different show right when the signing happened um and you know the reaction is like, oh, Dory Jackson played like crap last year. He's not that good. But the reality of it is is if he is fully healthy and he plays the way he did before last year, he could be a very good second corner. And I think that the situation we're putting him in with James Bradbury, you could get a very, very top-level player out of Dory Jackson. It's going to be dependent on if he can return to that really high-quality level of play that we saw in his first few Years in the NFL since being drafted uh, pretty early by the Titans. But heck, I, I was a big fan of the signing. They needed to figure out that second corner spot. Um, we have been talking a lot about is 11th, the 11th overall pick, the spot that you do that. And I think now spending the money for three years on a Dory Jackson, instead of bringing in somebody and then having to wait a year or two for them to fully hit stride, you, you're not going to get as high, maybe as high of a ceiling with Dory Jackson, but he's going to be ready to play now and he's going to be able to do a lot better than what we saw at that second corner spot last season for the Giants.
2: And it allows the Giants and Patrick Graham to play more man coverage, which they really couldn't do. I mean, we saw it in Pittsburgh week one. Patrick Graham tried to play a lot of man coverage, and they were just using rub, pick, and horizontal routes to just totally take advantage of guys like Isaac him Something that we can't have happen. Dory Jackson has all the athletic ability and fluidity to execute man coverage assignments. It's really going to diversify what Patrick Graham can call. When you look at the contract, I agree. It's a lot of money, and I see people on Giants Twitter being like, yeah, Dory Jackson's top 10 corner. That's rich. He's not. <laughs> he's, a, he's a good second cornerback to have with the upside of being a number one corner. And if he reaches that upside, he's 25 years old. If he reaches that upside, Mm. which he can, then you have him and you have James Bradbury. He signed a three-year, $39 million deal. That's $13 million a year. You look at all the other corners in this free agent class. William Jackson, he signed for a little bit more. Shaquille Griffin, he signed for a little bit more. Dory Jackson has higher upside than both of those players. And I think he's better than Shaq Griffin as well. So I, I get it's a lot of money. But I love how aggressive Dave Gettleman, Kevin Abrams, and his front office was to ensure that they allow Patrick Graham to do what he needs to do to shut down opposing offenses.
1: Yeah, and that was why it was a little bit unexpected for me that they were even in the running for him is because I I don't think that we thought they would be aggressive past signing Kenny Galladay. So for them to get Galladay and Adoree Jackson, I think both are really good signings and of good use of their money, especially because they didn't necessarily break the bank for either of them they didn't pay them top at their position but they're going to get two quality starters and hopefully both of them turn into that quality of player we've got two more things that we're going to hit on two more topics before we get to them though folks we're just going to take a really short commercial break support for this show comes from sylvan learning
0: as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team
1: So now that free agency is all but wrapped up, we're pretty much done. There's not really that many big name guys to sign. Uh, There's not really even any money for the Giants to use to sign anybody else. We are now shifting our focus to the NFL draft. And next week, we're going to do a show talking about how certain moves are going to impact the Giants draft strategy. But we have to address one thing here now. And I want to know, what do you guys think is the biggest question mark post free agency? Where do we look at this Giants roster and say, okay, well, they might have fixed their number one receiver spot. They might have resolved the second corner spot, but what the heck are they doing at this position and are they going to be able to fix it in the draft, especially at the 11th overall pick? So guys, what do you think? Where is the biggest question mark right now on the roster? For me, and I'm interested to get Chris's take on this, it's twofold.
2: First, you got to look at on defense, you got to look at the edge rushers. But I think there's a solid argument that could be made that they have the coverage on the back end to allow these edge rushers to get pressure on the quarterback, especially with the returning Leonard Williams, which is a low key, huge move by the New York Giants as well. But then you look on the offensive side and you look at that offensive line and there's a lot of will develop these young players and we're kind of hoping that they all hit their stride. As the rosters presently constituted, yeah, Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux, Matt Parrott, who are looking to be the starters. None of those guys are really proven. You can even make an argument that Andrew Thomas isn't quote-unquote fully proven. Now, I mean, I saw a lot of great development from him late in the year, but there's a lot of uncertainty on that line right now. When the most certain player on that line is Nick Gates a guy who played one year at center? It, that's not a great situation, really. So I would have to go with the offensive line, but I, I'm pretty confident that they're uh, going to invest some draft picks there.
3: Yeah, I have to go offensive line as well, uh, just because of all of the uncertainty, all of the potential fluidity there. Yeah, I am. I would be shocked if they didn't invest further draft capital in that offensive line uh maybe even as high as 11th overall depending on uh, who is there and how they have those guys graded but yeah i'm not sure you could even count nick gates as being a particularly sure certain player just because you took kevin zeitler away from him you know he's going to have sorry he's going to have you know will hernandez at left guard probably and shane lemieux at right guard probably at least the way things stand now uh Shane Lemieux, to my knowledge, has never played right guard. And Hernandez, you know, the two didn't have a whole lot of reps together uh, simply because of Will Hernandez going down with COVID last year and then, you know, becoming a package player for the second half of the season. Uh, You don't know how that's going to impact Nick Gates. And then Matt Paert. he's got the tools. But again, you know, what are you getting out there? He started out good as a as a package player when the Giants wanted to run outside zone but then we also did kind of see him tail off towards the end of the season now you know was that defense is starting to figure out his tendencies uh figure out what the Giants were doing when he was on the field or is it just that he does need a little bit of development you know that was kind of the knock on him coming out of UConn is that specifically play strength yeah he did need some work before he could be an NFL starter so you know what do they have there
1: yeah the the interior of the offensive line definitely scares me you do have playing experience with all of those guys but I definitely believe there is a ton of uncertainty that you go into the season with the current offensive line so I I do believe and we're going to get to talk about this on the next show that we do do you now shift your strategy at eleven to selecting any offensive lineman that you're uh, even a little bit in love with? Does is it Rashawn Slater? Is it if you're really high on Elijah Vera Tucker, Is he worth taking that high at eleven? But right now, I gotta say I'm even more worried about this pass rush. Um, I think that no matter how much you can bolster the back end, the defense will probably be very good. And Leonard Williams, if he plays at his at his peak which we saw last year he's going to be a 10 sack player but the thing that I'm so worried about is like are we going to have to do the same thing that we did last year can that really hold up the same exact defensive strategy without a de facto pass rusher or the Giants going to have to get by with C or lower level pass rushers trying to get after the quarterback coming off the edge. Uh, the interior is fantastic. You lose Dalvin Tomlinson. There's a lot of talented guys on the inside. But I, I'm just not sold on any of the names that we, we've brought up that are going to be coming off the edge and going after tackles. I think that something needs to be done in the draft in the first two, three rounds to bring in some juice because right now I, I don't think any of the guys really cut it for me. Wouldn't, hey, Chris, yeah. I know you're really into yeah. the draft <laughs>
2: As well, wouldn't a combination of Micah Parsons in the first round, Creed Humphrey, oh, Lord. and then Carlos Basham, wouldn't Oof. that be very sexy? That would be really that sexy. That would be. <laughs> because like, I think even Micah Parsons, he was recruited to play edge at Penn oh, state. Yes. And he, yes, he was, he would like, we all know Patrick Graham loves to bring a fifth man and pressure loves to utilize the linebacker next to Blake Martinez. Sometimes Blake Martinez, sometimes Darnay Holmes. He likes to be really creative with how he brings that. And I think Micah Parsons coming on those blitzes on third down, man. Ooh, right, good luck on the running back. Trying to block. That yeah, that. You aren't. That's and just all
3: that's going to happen. And, and right. even in that th- hypothetical third round, there's a bunch of guys I think you could insert into there. You know, maybe not specifically Carlos Basham, but uh, Cam Sample, Osa Digazua, uh, Taryn Jackson from Coastal mm-hmm. Carolina. Uh, I I actually really like this three to five technique class that that section of the defensive tackles specifically I actually really like this year so if you're looking for another defensive end to pair with Leonard Williams a rotational guy maybe a a sub package nickel player there's a bunch of them to be found this year and I think quite a few of them are going to be disruptive
1: the only thing that that scares but the only thing that scares me a tiny bit about Parsons though I just like to say, is that I, I'm worried that he's either not going to be there at 11, or conversely, the the Giants continue to do what they've done for forever, which is refuse to draft any linebacker that early. So I, I feel like that there's just too much uh, going against the Giants to end up with Parsons. If he's still available at 11 and they don't take him, I'm going to be very, very upset. But I, that's honestly what I'm hoping for right now. I think Micah Parsons has to be the pick for the Giants because that, I think, really solidifies where what they need defensively. Um, and we can we can wait to get into that stuff and, and talk about that stuff on our next show because that's going to be the primary focus. That is going to be the turning point for our discussions during this offseason is going to be straight draft on the next show and then for the remaining shows until the draft hits. So the last thing I want to hit on, guys, is what we think – after all of these free agent moves, what the how the Giants will project in the NFC East now that they've made these moves? After all these other teams have made moves, how will things change, and where do we think the Giants will finish? Because for me, I think just looking at the landscape, the Eagles are going to be a mess next year. Washington, I, I you know, as as fun as. Seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick in post-game press conferences is, I don't think that that is a situation that I can be confident in for them offensively, despite how good their defense is. So I think at least second is very realistic for the Giants to finish. If, If the Cowboys end up doing a lot better than last year with Dak returning and Mike McCarthy in his second year and also them making some moves in their coaching staff they are probably going to be have a little bit of a bit of an edge to win the division but there should be no reason for the giants to not finish second and possibly be a wild card team i believe after the moves that they made especially with seven teams making the wild card
2: too right I mean, yeah i think this giants team they they set themselves up in a position i'm not ready to anoint them because we need to see it all materialize on the field i think that's very very important but you can't not be intrigued All right. Like I have faith in this coaching staff. I have faith in Joe Judge. I think the offensive line is still an issue. I think the edge position is still an issue. Like we already talked talked about, but we have the Giants have taken steps in the right direction to put themselves into a position to where they should win this weak division. And that is, that is with Dak Prescott coming back and the Cowboys. I think Dan Quinn is going to be a huge upgrade over Nolan, Mike Nolan, who was fired after one season. And then I like Ron Rivera as a coach, but and their defense is good, but their offense is still a big question mark. So the Giants have a realistic shot now to win this division and make some noise. But you need Daniel Jones to take that big jump as well that's
3: kind of where I'm at. I, I'm not sure if I can say they will win the division. They could win yeah. it. They could wind up third. I'm with Joe. I think the Eagles are going to be a mess, which probably means they're going to win it because it, it's <laughs> That's just the way things go. You know, every time we think they're about to collapse, they somehow, I don't know, something weird and terrible happens. But, you know, like Nick said, the Washington does have that defense. It got better with William Jackson. That did address their probably, probably their biggest need on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, As frightening as it is, Chase Young could get better. Hell, Montez Sweat could get better. And that's just, that's just terrifying. The beast. Yeah. And, you know, with Dallas, with, back and those offensive weapons they have if they get some kind of health and continuity on their offensive line another year with mike mccarthy uh competent defense you know who knows what they could do of course they could start out great and then completely collapse it is dallas so uh, i really have no idea what could happen with this division as a whole and as exciting as the giants free agent class. Could be, it also could be a really high variance class. A lot of their big signings, they have really one year of really great play. Leonard Williams had last year. Uh, Galladay had two years ago. I think it was two years ago for Adoree Jackson. Um, So, if these guys all play up to their abilities, yes, absolutely, the Giants can win this division. They could take a big step forward and be competitive in the postseason. But if the guys don't play up to the contracts they're signed to, if they kind of all take a step back at the worst possible time, then you know, that things could definitely not go the way we want them to. So it's just the NFC East is always just so damn hard to figure out and things are in a lot of flux <laughs> right now.
1: <laughs> right, right. And I, I think we might have a little bit more clarity post-draft but I, I do see where you're coming from, Chris, that they're, you know, it, it's not entirely easy to predict. But right now, positive signs, we're moving in the right direction, and hopefully those positive signs actually turn into results. We're going to talk, as I said, NFL draft, some more coming up for the next few weeks, so stay tuned for those episodes. That's going to be it from us today, folks. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. Head to BigBlueView.com more great Giants coverage and then lastly follow us on social media at big blue for the rest of your day, folks we'll talk to you soon
2: support for this show comes from fundrise buy low sell high it's easy to say hard to do